All right, I would like to read our passage of Scripture for today. This is Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, North Langley. Let me um, just add my welcome to that of Robbie and the worship team. We're so glad to see you this morning and so good to be here. Um, yeah, like Ryan said right off the top, you must be super well rested. He, got, he woke up at four. I woke up at, I woke up at five and I hadn't changed the clock in my bedroom, so I thought it was six. So yeah, early rising is good. Probably won't hold, but for the first, <laughs> the first fallback Sunday. Um, yeah, um, I'm one of the pastors here on staff and it's great to be here with you. Um, Pastor Matthew's preaching at our Aldergrove campus this morning. So um, yeah, it's just my joy to be here. And if you are joining us, Um, for the first time in our series. We are in a seven-week series, and we're in week six of seven, and the series is called Deliver Us. Um, Overcoming, oh no, sorry, Deliver Us, Life in the Victory of Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself. Deliver Us, Life in the Victory of Jesus. And and so we have been um, learning in these past six weeks uh, understanding evil. Like we know there's evil in the world, so what or who might be behind it. Like, is, is the physical world all there is? And, you know, where, how, do we, how do we understand the spiritual realm that we know exists? And, and so we've learned about things like temptation and lies, and that they are actually schemes of the evil one to defeat us, um, and how we can stand against that. That last week was a, a teaching from Ephesians on the armor of God, and we even had help from you know, Micah and his hockey equipment to illustrate that. So I encourage you, if you haven't been part of the series so far, maybe you're new to church or to Jesus, to go back and, and uh, watch some of those teachings and, and get caught up. It's been so, so good. Thanks also to Robbie for reading our scripture today in Romans 12. Um, Romans was uh, is recorded in our New Testament. It was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in Rome. And, um, and we have it recorded here. In fact, we'll, we'll, get in, we'll unpack it a little bit and we'll see how Paul was uh, helping the early church understand the teachings of Jesus. Well, I've been watching uh, the, the, the series on the life of Jesus called The Chosen. I'm just sort of partway into season one, really late to the game. But some people recommended it to me and so I'm, I'm watching it. And... Um, I really like it. I'm, ha- I'm struggling a little bit with the embellished parts. You know, I'm watching it going, how many people have watched The Chosen? A few of you. Oh, yeah, a few of you anyway. Yeah, well, the, the parts that when you're watching, you're going, really? Was that in the New Testament? 
I don't remember that. And, but I get it. They're trying to make a good story, and it's engaging and all that. And I really like, actually, the character of Jesus in the in this series. And what I like is, is just watching a Jesus who, uh, they've portrayed this Jesus to, to, be, to be real. And as he interacts with his disciples, and his disciples are watching, you know, how Jesus lives, and, and they are, how, how Jesus is doing ministry, and and they're so curious, I guess, about this rabbi is so different than maybe the rabbis in, 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 that, in their day in the synagogues. So they're curious, especially about uh, Jesus and as they watch him pray. So Jesus would get up early, maybe four or five o'clock, and go spend time with the Father and pray. And he would pray as he did life with them and as he uh, ministered to people. And they asked him, Jesus, like, help us. How do we pray like that? And so Jesus teaches them, and we have that recorded in our, in our Bibles in the New Testament as the Lord's Prayer. You can find that in Matthew 6 and in a couple of the other Gospels. And um, Jesus begins to teach them, and, and as if like these are things to talk about with the Father all the time. Like These are being constant dialogue with the Father about these things, the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus taught that we need to be aware that we have an enemy called, in the scriptures, Satan. And that's why he teaches them how to pray. This line, deliver us from evil, or in some translations, the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Jesus wants us to know that the spiritual realm exists and that there's a battle with evil that touches our lives in the everyday. That's why it's part of like the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray all the time. Deliver us from the evil one. And that's why the Apostle Paul includes it here in this section of his letter to the church at Rome. And he summarizes this piece of text that Robbie read to us. He summarizes it with a sentence, the, the final sentence in uh, chapter 12, verse 21. And this will be our topic for the, for the morning together. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. Now, if you want to leave that on the screen for just a second, you can see that this is a, something called a chiastic structure. It's where words or ideas are presented and then repeated back in reverse order. It was a real common Greek literary device. And, uh, and a chiastic pattern actually helps us remember. Remember a phrase. Help me out. When the going gets tough, the tough... Yeah, a chiastic phrase. A mirrored effect. Like, even in Romans here, the reference is mirrored, right? Romans 12, 21. This will help us remember, so let's try it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah. So today there's two parts. Do not, become over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The first is a defensive stance. Hold your ground. But Paul doesn't stop there. He then says we're commanded to go on the offense against evil in a way that, you know, 2,000 years ago and today is still shocking to hear. You know, it's so shocking because it's contradictory to our natural impulse. It's just not what we see. It's not how the world works, is it? And because it seems so impossible, 
or so difficult to carry out, we must look to Jesus. We must look to Jesus, we must look to the cross. And what happened there to understand how to live like this? And so we are concluding today with communion. We will be looking to the cross. So let's pray, we need God's help and we need the help of each other. And yeah, as, as uh, Jonathan said, the prayer room is always open for you. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your words that you um, give to us. And God, you never give us something that is beyond our reach or impossible. Lord, help us. Uh, we need your help this morning. Give us the strength, Father. Open our eyes and our hearts to what you would have us see this morning from your word. Thank you, God, that you love us so much. And you're ready to meet with each and every one of us here this morning. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our key verse, maybe we could say it together. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah, I mean, upstairs, downstairs, the kids are memorizing verses, so we can too. So I was listening this week to a podcast by the late um, Pastor Tim Keller, and he was teaching on this exact passage, and he made such an, an interesting observation. It was this. He, he claims, like, world religions have much in common in terms of, like, ethical ground, right? Prohibition against murder or theft or um, dishonesty, and maybe on the reverse, like, upholding family honor or truthfulness, other virtues. But here's the question to consider. What happens when people do wrong at your expense? When they break these obvious kind of moral principles, maybe ideas of fair play or overarching right and wrong that we all kind of agree on, how do we react? So at this point, even though we can find much common ground in, uh, you know, in, in religions around the world, Jesus completely breaks out of the pack and gives his listeners a new ethic that is shocking. Love your enemy. Do good to those who mistreat you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. These are some of Jesus' core teachings, and they're from the Sermon on the Mount. Teachings that are then found throughout Scripture, like Paul literally mirrors them here in the church to Rome. And Peter later says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. This ethic was so unusual and so different than what had ever been said, spoken, or taught before, that it, became to, it came to identify the early church. Overcome evil with good. Truly, it's the highest model of human behavior that we've ever set before mankind. But it's mostly, you might say, disregarded, or at least seems extremely difficult to achieve. Why? Well, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. It just somehow doesn't sit well with, with us, right? It doesn't even seem realistic. You might say, well, I live in the real world. This isn't even, this isn't even possible. Why would I even want to do this? It runs counter to somehow like our gut feelings about what's fair or what's possible. So let's look at this in two parts. First, do not be overcome with evil. Now evil, evil literally means without worth, worthless, 
devoid of all good, depraved, harmful, causing injury, immoral, damaging. And sometimes what we do is we think of evil, in, we put it out here in this category that's like extreme evil or maybe like demonic or something like that. But anything that's opposed to God or anything that's in opposition to his character is evil. That's how the Bible talks about it. So how are we to respond when we encounter evil? We look at Romans 12 and Paul gives three clear prohibitions, like negative imperatives. Verse 14, do not curse. Now, this doesn't mean profanity necessarily, but it means cutting someone down, slandering, insulting, wishing somebody ill. That's cursing someone. The ancient Greek and Roman world was super familiar with curses. They would actually pay people to curse other people for them. In fact, it, there was something called binding curses where you would pay someone to uh, inscribe on a very thin piece of lead uh, a curse that you uh, wished against somebody else. And then you would roll it up and drop it in their well or in a fountain. And in, in that way, your wish would be that it would, um, you know, um, kind of spread through the water supply to the person who was your enemy or your rival. Well, today, workplace gossip, the family rumor mill, maybe social media serve that purpose, right? See, in scripture, it says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. We need to call it what it is. It's evil if we tear someone down. Number two, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 17, this is giving back in kind. And, you know, friends, this is everyday life. Someone insults me, someone lies about you, and immediately we want to even the score. It's payback, like for like. You hurt me, I'll hurt you back. When I was little, I'd like to think I was very little, but I do remember it. I was playing with my younger sister, and uh, somehow we got into a fight over a toy or a doll or something. And she grabbed it, went to grab it from me, and I bit her <laughs> on the hand. And she screamed, well, of course, she screamed. <laughs> and my mom came running upstairs, and I don't remember everything that happened in the interchange there, but what I do remember is that my mom grabbed my hand and bit it really hard. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm looking at the imprint, and, I'm, and, and somewhere there in the exchange, you know, my mom said, so now you know how it feels. I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> I don't know if I recommend that form of discipline, but I don't think I ever bit my sister again. But isn't that how we feel? Like when someone does something to us, we, we want them to know this is how it feels, and we repay evil for evil. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Taking revenge is taking justice into your own hands. It's, it's thinking, I'm going to mete out this punishment as if I am God. But clearly, God says, vengeance is mine. See, the Christians in Rome didn't have any power. Their property was being confiscated. They were losing their jobs. They lost their reputation. And Paul is addressing a very pressing question. How will you react? How did Jesus respond? When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He didn't retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats, no cursing, and he entrusted himself to God. He did not take revenge. However, just to, you know, raise some difficult questions that you may be thinking about, what do we do about the question of systemic injustice? What about the abuse in residential schools? What about Holocaust victims? What about um, all forms of evil? Do victims of injustice just need to take it? Well, N.T. Wright helps us out here, and he says this, we should note that this does not mean going soft on evil. Saying you shouldn't take revenge isn't a way of saying evil isn't real, or that it didn't hurt after all, or that it doesn't matter, evil is real. It often does hurt, sometimes very badly indeed and with lasting effects, and it does matter. This is perhaps one of the fundamental differences between Christianity and, say, Buddhism. Because we believe in a creator God who made a good and lovely world, we believe that everything which defaces and distorts, damages, or spoils part of that creation is not just another variety of goodness, but is actually its opposite, evil. And the question, again, is what are we going to do about it? See, we're clearly told not to take personal retaliation, retribution, punishment into our own hands, right? But punishment for evil or wrong is not incorrect in and of itself. Clearly, evil and wrongdoing should be brought to justice. In fact, even our own inner sense of justice bears witness to that, doesn't it? We should not shrink back in the face of injustice when it needs to be confronted, especially if it's hurting someone who's vulnerable. But this passage is about my reaction. It's about my attitude, my heart, and my willingness to trust Jesus and learn from him when I've been wronged. And you may be asking as well, the big questions in our day and time, what about war and taking up arms and the conflict in the Middle East? Well, we would need to read on to Romans chapter 13 um, and see uh, what, Paul is teaching there and that God does make provision for the government and for authorities to act, to uphold rule of law, to maintain peace. And that's for society as a whole, for public protection. But that's not our context here. However, it's also important to know that faithful Christians have always been at the forefront of thinking about how to engage rightly with these kind of questions, and that's a good thing. To be clear, this is not teaching just accept evil, but rather, how will I personally respond to it? And I think to start, we, we, we must start with humility. Humility is key. And why? Well, it's fundamentally because my perception of what is right uh, and needed for justice is always going to be imperfect. It's always gonna be inaccurate in, in some way or another. Like, do we somehow think that we could possibly seek vengeance or seek what we think is right with absolutely pure motives? Do we see the whole picture? Instead, and you see this in stories, in um, movies, literature, it's a very common theme. Personal vengeance becomes a dungeon of pain and bitterness. Think of movies like Count of Monte Cristo. Well, that was actually a book first, but Count of Monte Cristo or Gladiator movie, Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood, John Wick, or so I'm told. There's just so many examples, right, of personal vengeance just totally gone awry. 
See, in the end, in the face of evil in all forms, whether it's a victim of terrorism or being unfairly treated you know, by a friend, or, Jesus' radical teaching of how to respond to evil just will not make sense unless we fundamentally believe and trust and know that God understands. He's just. He will make all things right. And we live in a very broken, very fallen world. A world, as someone has said, is soaked in evil. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and he shows us a pathway to do the same in our own lives. So when we personally give in to retaliation or slander or gossip or resentment, when we've been personally injured, these are actually evil responses to evil. And we've been sucked in to the devil's schemes. And in the end, we're the ones that feel defeated. And we're so vulnerable in this area. I wonder why, you know what? I think it's our pride is attacked. Uh, maybe, especially if we grew up with a wounded self-image, um, offenses really hurt. And they can really hook into like a past injury that, you know, that, that, uh, that we, we feel it so deeply. But when we get back at someone, we're simply putting layer upon layer upon layer of evil and will be overcome by that same evil. An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, said Gandhi. See, there's the evil done against us, and, um, and then, on the other hand, there's our reaction to it, where we nurse resentment or make a vow to get even, or we're going to cut somebody out of our life. And there's harsh words, and there's hardening of a heart, and there's broken relationships. It's not just what's been done to us, but the evil from within us that compounds it. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, I believe he won the Nobel Prize for Literature around 1970, but he spent years in a forced labor camp in the Soviet Union for courageously speaking out against uh, Joseph Stalin, Stalin and communism. And his years of imprisonment gave him actually this insight into human nature. And he said this, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. That's why Paul exhorts us. That's why he says, do not be overcome with evil. It's a command. It's actually an aggressive military term. Don't let evil conquer you. Don't let evil have its way. And how does this happen? Well, many of us do carry deep, legitimate wounds. We've suffered abuse or betrayal from others. And we fight not to let these things get the best of us. But for everyone, all of us, just in the day-to-day, -day, it may not even be big things. Evil can start with something as simple as being wrongly accused or contradicted or taken for granted. And, you know, we turn and we, and we you know, inwardly, we attribute bad motives to somebody else, or we think of ways we can get even, or, or we even withdraw just to protect ourselves. But think about it. Is that person my enemy, my spouse, my friend, my parent, my coworker, my classmate, my teenager? Is that person actually who I'm at war with? Well, they may be attacking me, 
But I have to recognize, we have to recognize that there's more going on in the spiritual realm. We, we can't be blind to that. See, Satan's objective is to destroy, to cause collateral damage wherever he can, to multiply evil. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. Paul said to the church in Ephesus, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down where you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Well, what does that mean? What's a foothold? Well, let me illustrate. In my garden, horsetail has taken a foothold. Anyone who's maybe gardened in any way might know what horsetail is. It's horrible. It's like one of the most invasive weeds in BC or maybe the world. But horsetail is taking over my world, and it's choking out my asparagus, and it's choking out my strawberries, and I've tried everything. I have tried digging and pooling and fighting it, but the roots go so deep, they're so entrenched, that just breaking it off just makes it multiply. I've tried covering it with black, past black plastic. You know, I'm just gonna smother it. But did you know horsetail loves dark, dank places? And, and, and when you take it off, it's just multiplied, like, so much. So horsetail can grow like clear under a driveway and come up on the other side and take over. You know, horsetail has gained a foothold in my garden, a strategic position, and it's on the advance. Likewise, anger can give the evil one the same kind of foothold in our lives. Satan's just looking to occupy territory. And understandably, you know, Feelings of anger towards injustice, it's, that's not necessarily wrong. But when we lash out, when we let it fester, when we hold a grudge, we give Satan a foothold. And anger gains the upper hand. Now in Ephesians, the, to the letter in Ephesians, Paul says the example is anger. But it could be any negative emotion. If we give resentment or worry, if we live re with repeated unrepentant sin, we're giving Satan a foothold. Unforgiveness, the love of money, Jesus said, was the root of all evil. Yeah, these things give the enemy a foothold. If you had to identify one area in your life where you just, uh, the evil one has gained a foothold, um, maybe a place, think about it this way, a place where you feel repeatedly defeated, what would that be? Let's not be unaware of the devil's schemes. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says we're to forgive. Why? So that Satan doesn't outwit us. Forgiveness should be a normal practice for the followers of Jesus. I know there's so much we could say about this, but forgiveness in a nutshell is leaving the whole situation and everyone involved to God. It's saying, I will not make them pay. I won't hold them in my debt. It's not acting as if the wrong ever happened. And it's not saying that it wouldn't, doesn't sometimes include steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. But as Tim Keller says in his book on forgiveness, which I highly recommend, if we don't forgive, the wrongdoers essentially win. If we stay bitter for years, then the wrongdoers are robbing us of joy for years. And if we take revenge, then we have in a sense become cruel like them. If we ever think, I won't do that because it's just what the wrongdoer would want me to do. Then the wrongdoer is actually controlling your behavior. In short, if you don't forgive, evil has defeated you. You are not living your own life, but one shaped by the wrongdoer. 
And when Satan gets a foothold, he is always sets about to make further advances. Back to my garden. Did you know there's actually really only one way to actually to eradicate horsetail? Change the environment. See, you raise the pH level in the soil by adding good stuff like lime and manure. And eventually, the horsetail just hates that and gives up and goes away. That anger, resentment, unforgiveness, repeated sins, if they're gaining a foothold, are you tired of fighting? Are you tired of, you know, stuffing it all down? Are you still feeling defeated? Then bring your heart to Jesus. Open up to the Holy Spirit's work through repentance and prayer with others. Change the environment. Gather with other believers. Be honest. Take Freedom Session. You can check it out on our website. Jesus can renovate your heart. He can take back ground and put to death the lies or habits that the evil one has planted in your life. Horsetail is overcome by good things. So let's look at part two. Overcome evil with good. Back to Romans 12, don't curse, but bless. Don't retaliate, but do good to everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, leave that to God. And here's the kicker, serve those who do us wrong. Notice that Paul's not asking believers to simply practice self-control when they're provoked or to you know, um, just step back from, and, and not repay evil. We're actually to initiate doing good. This is radical. We do good to those who hurt us. Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And since God is good and loving, anytime we bring his goodness into a situation that's, that's evil or wrong or hurtful, we're actually bringing Jesus, advancing his kingdom and pushing back evil. Many of us may remember a tragedy that happened in October 2006, actually in the hometown where I grew up, and a random shooter entered an Amish one-room schoolhouse and um, tied up 10 young Amish girls and shot them and then himself. In the aftermath, the nation was shocked to witness the entire Amish community actually forgive the offender. Forgiveness was not a once and done thing for the Amish, but collectively, they pushed back evil that could have multiplied in their hearts or multiplied in their community. They pushed back evil, how? By blessing the killer's family, by bringing meals, by attending his funeral, by paying his widow's expenses. Now, there have been more, many more mass shootings, of course, since then. And in the wake of all this grief and suffering, many families at places like um, Sandy Hook Elementary or Virginia Tech, they've turned to the Amish for help. It's remarkable. In 2012, Terry Roberts, the mother of the man who took the lives of the young girls, rode in a bus with these Amish families to Sandy Hook, Connecticut. And the families and teachers there in Sandy Hook were shocked. They could not believe that Amish parents would associate with Terry, let alone travel with her. But the Amish truly believed that it was possible to overcome evil with good. And the response of the Amish actually helps us make sense of 
of verse 20 in this passage, where it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Uh, do the burning coals represent like judgment or harm? No, I don't think so. The hope would be to win over the other person and restore relationship. And this image likely refers to an ancient Egyptian practice where a repentant person would come before the community. And if they were, uh, if they asked for forgiveness and publicly evidenced their remorse, they would do so by actually putting a pot of burning charcoal on their head. We overcome evil with good. This often happens by quiet choices that we make personally. We respond with a kind word. We uh, seek forgiveness we, uh, of an offense. We go out of our way to treat someone who has mistreated us with respect or maybe compassion. And this isn't easy to do. We need God's help. We need God's help to find the motivation and the desire to bless. Of course, there are times when it's not appropriate to make contact with an abuser. But in general, we look for ways to overcome evil with good. A small example, I remember one time I was so mad at one of my teenagers. I really never get mad, but no, joking. I was so mad at one of my teenagers, and I felt very justified in my anger. Like, I felt like they had behaved terribly towards me. And anyway, after they left for school, it was my day off, so I sat down to read my Bible, and I was still really mad. Um, uh, and then, you know, the Holy Spirit started to impress on me that maybe I should bless that child. I didn't want to at all. But I got this distinct impression that I should clean their room and do their laundry. So, um, the, side note, the room was a disaster. So it took me pretty much all day to clean and vacuum and dust and change sheets and do all that. And then I went and got flowers and left a note for them. You know, to this day, I don't remember if I ever got a response or if they were sorry or anything, but it didn't matter anymore. My anger was gone. I blessed them instead of berating them or holding on to a grudge. I overcame the evil in my heart by doing good. Well, this was not a common experience. Don't go asking my kids how often I clean their room. Like, never. <laughs> but anyway, we overcome evil with good of course, in personal ways, large and small. But many times, it's a community thing, isn't it? Like the Amish. As a church, we can do good in ways that recognize that life is hard. Life hurts for many people. Life maybe isn't fair. It's a struggle. It's lonely. So when many of you gather together to serve in places like, you know, uh, divorce care, bereavement journey, sponsoring refugees, mental health support, marriage course, single mom's day, feeding homeless. Like, this is a way that together, we faithfully push back the evil that wants to destroy lives. We say no to things like despair or addiction, loneliness, hopelessness. Remember the picture last week of the Roman shield that, that Matthew put up on the screen, you know, these large Roman shields when we were learning about the armor of God in Ephesians? Well, the shield does more than stop arrows. Actually, a typical Roman shield could push back the enemy when soldiers stood in formation. It formed this protective barrier and advance. Yeah, there's a picture from the first century. Not really. <laughs> in the same way, when we do that, 
when we pick up our shields of faith and we band together as Christian brothers and sisters in formation, we strengthen our faith. We do more than we can by standing alone. And side by side, we form a strong offensive against the enemy. See, when my apprentice group meets and prays for one another, we are in formation, pushing back evil. And when the prayer team shows up here week after week and prays for you and me, we are pushing back the enemy. When your life group hears your struggles and cares about you, the enemy is losing ground. We do this together. It takes faith to look outward. It takes faith to bless and serve and do good, especially if we wish that someone do it to us first or we just feel kind of either complacent or too busy. See, I think, not that anyone likes to hark back to the pandemic, but I think living in a pandemic for two years conditioned us to look inward. And it's totally understandable. We were told to not associate and lock down and stay home for months on end. Psychologists tell us that it takes two months to form a habit. Well, 66 days to be accurate. But two, how long were we locked down, 24 months? I don't know. We had all that time to develop habits of isolation and watching more movies and thinking up gourmet meals and being online too much. And that way of living, just for many of us, became comfortable and natural. And it's hard to break those patterns. And we wonder why like rates of depression or anxiety, loneliness, addiction are on the rise. Should we be surprised? Listen, evil is winning when we live mostly for ourselves, our rights, our comfort. Evil can be overcome with good when we as a church see needs around us and meet them in the name of Jesus. When I was uh, looking at this this week, a, a verse just popped in my mind. I'm like, where is that? And so I did a search, which Google is great for. And it's a conversation that Peter was having with the household of Cornelius in Acts 10. And um, we can't go there today, but you can look it up if you'd like. And Peter was telling Cornelius this and this family, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Doing good, pushing back evil. See, the world says, live for yourself. And Jesus says, live for others. The world says, make sure your needs are met. And Jesus says, serve the needs of others, and my Father will take care of you. The world says, protect yourself. Don't let anyone take advantage. But Jesus says, spend your life for my sake and for the sake of others. You will be blessed. So being generous and serving children and praying for others and welcoming strangers, even with a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning, is a way to do good in Jesus' name. And amazingly, the kingdom of God advances in a hurting, angry, and often skeptical world. So one last time, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, evil won't be eliminated in our world on this side of eternity. And we know that the ultimate victory over evil is scheduled for, you know, some day in the future when Jesus returns, and I hope it's soon. All the same, evil can be defeated anytime Christians stand together shoulder to shoulder, and give back good to others because evil crumbles in the face of courageous and sacrificial love. And Jesus was the perfect example of overcoming 
evil with good. He went to the cross, bearing the evil, the sin of you and me and entire humanity, and he absorbed it in his own body through his blood shed for us. When he rose from the dead, he overcame. He conquered sin and death for good. And then God's goodness was imparted to us when we didn't even deserve it. We, when we put our full trust in Jesus, we're forgiven. We walk free, free to bless others, free to serve others, free to love others with the love and the forgiveness that we have received at the cross. And the ushers are gonna come forward now and if you didn't receive communion when you came in the doors, you can get it as they come. But as we take communion, we're gonna remember what Jesus did and what he said. And we remember that it's only because of Jesus that we have the strength and the, and the courage to be compassionate and kind to one another, to forgive one another, because that is just what God in Christ did for us. How could we withhold from somebody else what has been so freely poured into our lives through the cross? So let's pray together, prepare our hearts to take communion as a church family this morning. Would you bow with me? Father God, we thank you that in all this, we can look to the cross. God, we thank you that we can look to Jesus, your son, who took all the evil of the world, all the sin that we deserved, the punishment on himself. He died in our place, the blood shed, the body broken. Help us to be thankful this morning, but also more to understand that when you rose from the dead Lord Jesus, you gave us victory in all things, including overcoming evil. So God, this morning as we take this communion, may we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what you did for us on the cross made a way for us to live as your disciples. Help us to love and serve as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.